0: This episode of the Pursuit Podcast is presented by Fisher Skis. Hey, what's up everybody? Uh, I'm Mr. Adam X, your host of the Pursuit Podcast on the Outer Collective. You already know that because you're here, you're listening, and I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad you're listening. We have a fantastic episode this week. Uh, Colette McInerney. I have a really hard time with people's last names lately, so I apologize if I'm saying that wrong. I've listened to Colette say it multiple times. Uh, Colette McInerney. So... Uh, It's such a great episode. It's so much fun. Uh, Climber, fantastic photographer, amazing videographer. Talk about why it's important to have females in sports and represent them in every angle, which seems like such a crazy conversation that we have to have. But we have it because it's important. Talk about Colette the athlete, Colette the filmer, Colette the badass. Uh, It's just a wholesome, wholesome, wholesome episode. So I'm really amped for you guys to listen to it. Uh, excuse my ignorance on climbing. I love having these conversations, but I just don't know so much about climbing. So if you are a super climber and I come off a little, uh, for lack of a better term, dumb, uh, it's just because I don't know that much about climbing. And all I can do is learn and continue to have these conversations because they're really fun. And uh, Colette knows about climbing, so why should I have to know about climbing? Okay, that's my rant before I get into the episode. Uh, i got to give a shout out to a couple sponsors here. Uh, My first sponsor this week, Fisher Skis. Uh, Let's talk about the new Rangers. The new Rangers, so good. Fully redesigned ski. It's super fun, super playful. It's not boring. Uh, And that's why I love it. I got to ski it a bunch last year, and I'm going to be on it so much this year. It's going to be my go-to everyday ski. If you're thinking about getting a ski, look into the Ranger Series. Uh, It comes in a Ranger 90, 96, 102, I'll be on the 102, it comes into a a 116, I mean, they really make a ski for everybody and this thing absolutely rips, it's stiff where it needs to be stiff, it's light where it needs to be light, it's stable, it's fun, it's playful, it literally does it all, go to FisherSports.com and check out the new Ranger Series. My second sponsor this week, Woodchuck Hard Cider. You guys know all about it. Uh, If you were lucky enough to go to Cider Stock last week, please tell me how it was because I unfortunately couldn't make it. Um, So many options. Persecco, Magical Meal, a little brunch box with mimosa, uh, Bellini, Woodchuck Cider, Woodchuck Hard Cider, Sangria. It's so fantastically delicious go to woodchuck.com get yourself some hard cider they have a gluten free option check it out woodchuck.com go to the grocery store get yourself some hard cider you will not regret it and my last sponsor this week i've got to talk about them but i've been talking about them for the last couple weeks uh, i did a full review on them so if you haven't checked out the review on youtube go to our youtube check it out geyser systems geysersystems dot com hot clean off-the-grid shower using less than a gallon of water Uh, if you guys are camping we're running into fall here it's starting to get cold they make a heater version i'm telling you you can get a hot fast clean i mean obviously clean if you're taking a shower but honestly it's like such a good refreshing shower and the whole key is that you're using less than a gallon of water 30-day money-back guarantee, free shipping, amazing customer support, lifetime warranty, over 410 reviews on REI.com. And myself over at The Pursuit and Auto Collective and my friends at Geyser Systems, we're gonna give you 15% off. You will not find this deal anywhere, I guarantee you. uh, Go to geysersystems.com, use code OUTOFBOUNDS, all one word out of bounds you can dm me at mr nmx if you don't can't get the code again out of bounds we're going to give you 15 percent off go get yourself one you will not be disappointed speaking of not being a disappointed let's get into this episode with colette because it's an absolute banger
1: cool yeah um the, the Brene brown intro
0: yeah exactly
1: <laughs> what do people need to know about you um Yeah, I'm Colette McInerney, that's my name. And I am a climber and a videographer. Uh, I always say I'm a climber first um, because that's how I sort of got into video and photo work. And I don't really reside anywhere. Most recently when people ask me, they say, I tell them I live in West Virginia because I did move there last fall. But as my boyfriend likes to remind me, I've actually only spent probably like six weeks there in the last year, Um, and that's not very unusual. Maybe besides COVID, I haven't lived really anywhere more than three months for probably close to 15 years at this point. So I'm very transient. Um, I do frequent the same places, but um, have been one of those people that have kind of made living on the road work um, in the pursuit of basically climbing and having that freedom and I do really just love traveling and experiencing other places and then the video and photo work kind of came in as a, a way to be able to sort of financially keep that going um yeah a native Nashvilleian I grew up in Nashville I moved there from there when I was 18 I moved to New York City I wanted to live in a big city I wasn't a climber yet I just wanted to be in something bigger and more and um Yeah, found climbing in the city, which is a random place (laughs) to find climbing, took my first road trip out west. And I was like, wow, this is a whole thing. And I had never been out west before and kind of fell in love with that whole deal. And um, yeah, from there, just kind of didn't take climbing too seriously, but sort of fell into the pro climber scene kind of quickly. And then it just sort of went from there slowly, but surely. And thought I would never move back to the southeast, and then here I am, living in West Virginia. Apparently, (laughs)
0: allegedly living in West (laughs) Virginia. Allegedly
1: living there. Currently in Rifle, Colorado, going climbing like I do most summers, but it's fine.
0: Yeah, I mean that's most people, most pro athletes have like a home base, but no one's ever there. Like it's Mm -hmm. just that's that's par for the course. Mm -hmm. What brought you backing up? What brought you to New York City? Like why? Why a big city? Like, what was the plan? Because obviously climbing wasn't a thought and that just found you. So what is the excitement Um, of New York City?
1: Yeah. I mean, so my parents are British. They moved over to the States right before I was born. And I think at the time, I mean, I grew up in Nashville in the 80s and it was just, it just was like kind of a small, it felt like a small town, bumpkin town, very conservative very southern whatever and i had these two really liberal british parents my dad is musician and what um, the reason he moved to nashville to play folk music and drums and i just was always looking through this lens of there's more than this you know and this is like a very small mentality on the world and so for me the extension of that was to go to a big city. And I had gone to England, I think we would go back to England, like every five years when I grew up, because financially, it was a hard thing for us to do, obviously, but um, all my extended family was there. And so, you know, I saw London, I was able to sort of, I kind of got to travel a little bit in that way, when I was young, and I just knew there was just other ways to do stuff. And so for me, the quickest way to get to that was to go to a big city. And yeah, I mean, I thought music was cool. Art was cool. Um, And then it just so happened that my sister's best friend in high school, my sister's like eight years older, she had gone to NYU and um, just let me come and visit. And I was just like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, you're 17, 16 or 17 years old. And you're just like, this is it. This like everything's happening here. And uh, yeah, was just super curious. And I love the energy. And just like when you're that age, you just want to be in it. Or at least I was. That was my thing.
0: What was your job? Like, what did you go there having a job or what did that look like? What?
1: Oh, in New York? No, right. I mean, I, I got a, you know, I was coming out of school in Nashville, public school, but I got a, um, some financial aid and a small scholarship to go to Fordham University, which is a small Jesuit school. I was looking at big schools and I was looking at Chicago and I was looking at all these big places, but Fordham basically gave me the best financial ride. Um, and so I just said, yeah, you know, it's this little Jesuit school. I don't even know, like rinky dink. But in the end, it was definitely the best choice for me because I don't think I would have survived a big school. <laughs> I think I would have <laughs> flunked out or dropped out in a in a year or so. So Um, yeah I ended up working at a radio station but like an on-campus gig right so they offer you some jobs there and um, my dad actually had a connection because WFUV is a big folk radio station actually in the New York area and so he happened to know someone and he's like you should get in there and do this like radio thing and I started just front desk and I ended up working with the marketing director and and actually did um end up producing some pieces of my own down the line like my junior and senior year and I thought that was the path that I would go I thought I would stay you know in the city work at a radio station a lot of people I worked with ended up working for Sirius and like you know all the big time stations and I kind of figured it would go there and then climbing came in and ruined my life life. like it does for so many (laughs) I so could have is- had money. I could have had a house. <laughs>
0: nah, you have happiness and freedom. And I think that's worth more than a lot of people know. No, 100%. Yeah. What? So, I mean, I'm just asking leading questions right now because sure. I'm just trying to figure out how we got to, to you now. Mm. Um, climbing, New York City, not a climbing Mecca by any means.
1: Absolutely not.
0: <laughs> how did you even find a scene? What did it look like? And how did you like? how did you get into it?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, very happenstance. My freshman year, uh, my roommate who was actually from Nashville too, she went to another school. So we didn't know each other in Nashville, but they do this thing in college where they like connect you. If you're an out of state person, they connect you with people from where you're from. And um, so Megan McDonald was my roommate. We had four, there's four of us in a freshman dorm or whatever. And she was the like soccer player, really healthy, like always active. Me and my other roommate were out partying, you know, just all the time, cause we're in New York. Like, obviously that's what you're gonna do. <laughs> and I think it was our second, you know, the second part of our freshman year, she's like, Hey, you guys should really come to the climbing gym. It's so fun. And I've been going and she had already been climbing in high school. And so one day we went with her and I was just like, oh, this is kind of, this is pretty awesome, you know? And I had done gymnastics when I was really young. And I think a lot of gymnasts would say that, that there is like this really like comfortable connection between the movement of climbing and gymnastics. And so for me, it was the first time I had like sort of stepped back into that for many, many years. And I was sort of hooked like pretty quickly, even though, you know, I did the hole for six months. I'm a climber. I'm a climber. And I basically went like four times, you know, <laughs> and then my sophomore year, a, a woman, Jackie, now Jackie Moore, um, just she is a Long Islander, very outgoing. She like came up to me just sort of, we were actually at a fire drill. She came out and she was like, I heard you're a climber and I was like, Oh yeah, totally. I'm a climber. And she's like, well, we're going to be friends, you know? And she was very serious about climbing. So when I started hanging out with her, it was like climbing all the time and just gym stuff. She knew about comps. She knew about pro climbers. Then we started going up to the gunks, and it was this whole kind of other world out there and a whole new group of people kind of from all parts of the city. And it was this really cool mix of like, you know, here I was living in the Bronx doing this school Bronx thing, sometimes going to Brooklyn. I had a bunch of friends at Pratt and doing that whole deal. And then boom, you would be out in the gunks like camping or we were hitching rides or taking buses out there and just being in nature all day. And uh, it was really cool. I definitely had some like hangover mornings that like made me question it definitely started to shift my priorities i would say like my junior and senior year the more i fell in love with climbing the more that kind of city lifestyle especially at that age you know it's 19 or 20 you know you really push yourself <laughs> to the limits and um yeah my priorities started started to shift and then after that trip out west they really were like i was like wow this is really a whole nother way to be um so yeah i, I it, it was a random happenstance in a way, but I just ran into the right people and it was still kind of small scene and just worked out.
0: And at what point were you like, I can make a career out of this. Like, was there a turning point or are you still like, Oh, whoa, I'm making a career. out of Oh yeah.
1: Every day I'm like, where I'm like kind of getting back on LinkedIn (laughs) looking for a job. Um, no, I mean, yeah, many, many years I wasn't making a living as a climber, uh, my, you know, after I left the city, it was all I'm gonna leave the city for a year, just to travel and take a break, and then I'll go back to New York and get my real job and do my real, real life, you know. Um, and I moved to Boulder for a year, got in a relationship with somebody who was a pro climber, and then life became about, hey, let's just work these odd jobs and go on these trips and we only have so much time, we're going to be able to do this type of thing. Um, And I don't know, there was just a few years of that. And then he eventually was making it work as a pro climber, um, finding sponsors and being able to kind of sign us both up for trips. And that is kind of where my media stuff came in, right? Because somebody was sort of in there helping with that media or taking that media or whatever. And, um, it just was like a slow evolution, you know, and it didn't mean that, you know, we might do that, take a three month trip, but then we were back working some, you know, medial jobs or whatever. And I think one turning point in terms of financially was when Mike Hall, who is a, a climbing videographer had a, he was working with, um, Great. This is one of those moments when we we'll Momentum Video Mag was one of the first kind of online climbing sites in a way, like for videos. It was around the time, I think a little bit before Deadpoint Magazine had an online site, probably around the same era. And he sort of saw what we were doing and gave us a video camera and was like, hey, just go out there and film your stuff. Um, we can pay you like this much a month. And it became like, oh, okay, we can like you know, we're not like living in luxury, but if we don't have an apartment or if we don't have a mortgage, or if we don't have all this other stuff, this would be enough for us to maintain with some sponsorship money. And then you're making a little bit of money for this media. And um, that was probably a turning point of like, oh, okay, we can like make money doing this um, or, or sustain ourselves doing this. Um, and then when that relationship ended, there was definitely a panic for me of like, how am I going to do this on my own? And I just thought, well, it is, at this point, one of the things I know how to do best besides probably, like, waiting tables. So, <laughs> might as well just keep trying. And that's kind of how I continued continued on.
0: Was there any ever photo, video, like, background? Or was it was kind of just like, we're doing this, we're here, let's capture it. And then eventually you become, like, a master of your own, you know, art.
1: Yeah. I've, I would say I'm very far from a master. But, no, I didn't have any background i mean i would say you know maybe working at the radio station for instance um you know you learn how to cut and tell a story or a little bit um but no all self-taught and just kind of had mentorship in the in the industry and you know at at that point and even still now we weren't telling like really intense stories you know we were filming rock climbing and you would do an interview and it was like the moves are like this you know so but i mean yeah it, it wasn't, it was all kind of, I mean, I still get in there on my YouTube videos every day <laughs> when I'm editing. How do you do this? How do you do that? Cause everything just, you know, it just happens so fast. All the technology, all the, it's, right now I'm dealing with plugins. It's like I didn't edit for a year and I feel like I've never edited in my life, you know?
0: It's <laughs> So I own a photography business. I've shot mm-hmm. weddings for it's crazy, almost 20 years at this point. I don't think I'm that old, but I, I am. Um, <laughs> that's my bread and butter. That's always been my bread and butter. And mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you this question. What's the difference between an amateur photographer and a professional? Because I get asked this a lot as a wedding photographer dealing with just couples who don't understand the price of things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, go ahead. Hmm.
1: Amateur and a And I have an answer, I mean, and I'll
0: reveal my answer. Oh, uh, you have a good there.
1: Yeah, well, I just Probably tell me, I'll write it down. <laughs> I mean, I guess, like you know, and uh, well, that's a question someone posed to me: Are you a professional climber or are you a videographer? And it came down to like what I'm making more money at, like what how I'm sustaining myself, you know. So if I'm able to sustain myself through photography, and I'm, that's how I'm paying my bills. At some point, I guess at that you say you're a professional photographer. You're not doing it for a hobby. You're not just posting on Instagram and not making any money, you know? Um, And in that sense, I've always made more money off of video than I have for photos. Right. But then it's just a weird influencer world too, where it's important to like be on there and to have your photos, even if you're not actually selling those to people, it's part of like your branding and the way that other people enter your sphere. Right. So it's all kind of shifted. Um, Yeah. I mean, and how those lines get really weird and blurry, but I guess in a short term, it's like, do I make, where do I make my money from? How do I, when I pay my taxes, where am I paying most of those
0: taxes? Where am I washing my money? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Did I buy more climbing equipment this year? (laughs) Or that's, Mm -hmm. that's the real answer.
1: I Mm -hmm. always say
0: the difference and I look at it differently is why, I'm Mm. worth the money, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. uh, I can guarantee a photo like at the end of the day, like especially in this world, everyone's got a camera, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: whether it be an iPhone or and like if the priest tells me I can't go down the aisle and great aunt Sally is in the front row with a brand new iPhone she's mm-hmm. gonna get a decent shot and she's i gotta shoot. The shot. and i gotta <laughs> shoot 200 long and i have to be dodging every elbow in the aisle but like mm-hmm. that's how i i say i mm-hmm. can i can guarantee deliverables at the end of the day and like yeah i don't know if that's correct like i yeah. know that when i go shoot a wedding i'm confident that like mm-hmm. you will get great photos are mm-hmm. they all home runs no but yeah. like i'm sure if i went climbing I could maybe get one decent photo, maybe, mm-hmm. but like I'm not a professional climbing photographer, videographer. So like, that. When did
1: is- when did that shift for you? Like that confidence? Because I think that's like something. But I don't know. That sort of imposter syndrome can always exist with creatives.
0: Oh, I have imposter syndrome for sure, <laughs> but weddings I'm pretty confident in mm-hmm. um, because I've tr- like that's been. Actually, this is like the first year in a long time that I've like taken a step back. Um, and it was it it popped up a lot because I took a step back. So I only have like nine weddings this year when I used to have like 30 to 40. So then I felt more of an imposter because I wasn't doing it every weekend versus when mm-hmm. I was doing it every weekend. It's just like if you're a, a, I would believe maybe if mm-hmm. you were, you know, you're writing for the newspaper and you write something for the newspaper every week. Yeah. It feel like you don't feel like an imposter because that's all, you know, versus if you took a break and then you wrote one article a month, you're like, whoa! like I don't belong here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is a thing about like being like that jack of all trades, right? It's that you're not having, I don't, yeah, you're not like specifically good at this one thing. It's not like I stopped climbing and was just like, I'm only shooting this and that's all I'm ever doing. I always, you know, took time off or did whatever. And then I'm like, wow. So I remember one time, like being, I was a little high, I think, and I remember looking over at my camera stuff and being like, what is that? Like, what are you doing with all that camera stuff? (laughs) Like, why do you just really having like some existential crisis on, you know, what is it that I'm doing with these things? Right. So
0: it's such a crazy. (laughs) I could geek out on photo stuff. Like, I'm not a photo geek, but my longtime business partner, we're not business partners anymore. Longtime business partner. When I was 19, she was like, this camera is the key it'll open any door on the planet earth. Like you want to go to Everest and you don't have the money or you don't have, like if you're really good with a camera, you could get there. Or like, I'm not a doctor and I've been in like surgery rooms shooting like dental procedures and like, I don't belong there, Mm -hmm. but because I have this camera, it's a really interesting, you know, you want to go to a concert. There you go. Like you want to, it's, it's such an amazing tool and it's such a bizarre tool, especially now because mm-hmm. everyone has one. Yeah. So now it's like – now it comes into the influencer and, oh, I'm also a pro climber. So, like, mm-hmm. I can get into these positions that, like, whoever with their camera can't. Yeah. So it's
1: – Well, yeah, and I, I've i known a few climbing photographers specifically who have sort of said – you know, another version of that, which is like, um, you know, it's kind of who you know and your ability to get places is like what allows you. It's like, sure, there's a person that could probably take this photo better than me, but can they get to this area? Can they hike out that far or can they jug this line or do they know how to set up ropes and do the people with them, especially in like the pro climbing scene? I mean, you're shooting... Especially video, I mean, these aren't actors. You're shooting their life, right? You're sending, shooting the stock stuff. They have to trust you and believe that they can trust you with their image and they got to want to be with you for weeks on end. So there is this element of like, am I actually like the best artist out there? Or am I just this person that has like access because of the knowledge I gained over the years and my people that I work with, right? Um, Being friends and things like that. So, you know, a lot of, you know, climber and photographer, they'll just be like, oh, I just press the button, which, you know, it's a little bit putting themselves down, but there is some element of that. Like a lot of people can be in this helicopter or be on this line and the shot is maybe sometimes obvious, but it's more, can you get up there? Do you have that access? You know?
0: Yeah. But I love that you said that. Cause I think a lot of people listening don't always think about that. Like I, that's, I'll I'll make it about me no but it's (laughs) I say that to my bride and groom I'm like meet with three photographers because you like all of our work right like Mm -hmm. you've picked our work you've looked at our resumes great you love whatever our portraits see if you like hanging out with me because I'm going to be there all day and like Mm -hmm. in your your situation it's like oh we're going to be here for three weeks together like going to the bathroom on a side of a mountain and like lugging all of our gear together and having mood swings and dealing with personal just life like all while being filmed and having like an insane mission it's yeah i like that you said that because i don't think people think about the bigger picture sometimes as far as yeah it's so much more than taking the picture
1: (laughs) yeah and sometimes it doesn't matter and some commercial gigs are like you're in and out in a few hours and it you can be it doesn't matter maybe your connection with somebody like you're just doing x y and z but i think yeah those longer things um definitely longer trips and who you're working with and especially that doc style filming stuff like you want to feel comfortable with the person that that you're shooting with i think
0: if you if you could pick what you shot every day what like what would it be
1: hmm
0: like video or photos doesn't this is your (laughs) this is your world
1: photos just like weird. Like if we, I was just texture. like, Hey, I'm going to pay you
0: a million dollars. <laughs> this is your project. you am going to pay a million dollars a day. This is what you have to do forever. Like that, like, and obviously it would change in 10 years, but like right now, what would you shoot?
1: Yeah. Uh, photos definitely just like cool textures and like just city stuff, like more, you know, I'm not, I'm not very good at that. Like, but good portraits and Just going around to crazy places and shooting all the little details and yeah, like all the old weird doors and window frames and old ladies on the streets, you know, like fly on the wall stuff. I would thought that'd be amazing. Like just Nat Geo style in these weird communities. That'd be awesome. And then video, I mean, stories about women still. I just think there are so many fascinating women out there doing really cool stuff and we just don't hear enough about them. So, I get really motivated by those stories and so with video, I want to yeah, be seeing that stuff because when I think of video, it's not as I feel like I don't shoot that much like really beautiful video. I'm more shooting parts of a cool story like of what somebody's doing and what they're all about, you know.
0: Let's talk about it cuz we're there. Uh <laughs> Never Not Collective. you're a founder i believe
1: yeah i mean it was it was three of us initially i would say it was shelma Jun who was like i want to start a production company and came to me and i was like well yeah i've always wanted to start a production company but like that's crazy (laughs) how are you gonna do it and she's just a real takes no no for an answer never takes over an answer that's how i say it um and she's like well never not yeah she's like well I'm doing it anyways I was like yeah I'm too crazy and you don't know what you're getting into and she reached out to Julie Ellison who had just been the um editor of Climbing Magazine for a couple years and was sort of looking for some new endeavors and Julie was like also a total go-getter and was like yep I'm in let's do this um and so Shelna came back to me and was like hey we're doing it last chance you kind of want in And um, I said, yeah, let's do it. You know, basically you guys are, they like set the whole scene. And I said, sure. So that's kind of how it started. And then we brought Leslie in um, as a fourth person. And so she was a little more, a bit younger and more in the ski scene, Leslie Hittmeyer. And she came in and we started working on project ideas that we'd want to do. And I said that, you know, Pretty Strong was my concept and the fact that it's something I'd wanted to do for years and years and I had already been sort of following a lot of women and doing shorts about different female climbers that were friends and that had been working with and I said you know I want to make just a whole film because it doesn't exist yet and it totally should and that's when we sort of put all of our eggs in that pretty strong basket and we did a kickstarter that was super successful and found a few sponsors and kind of went down a two, three year road of making a movie that we didn't know exactly what it was going to look like. And, um, everybody on the team started realizing that my ideas were very <laughs> conceptual and not <laughs> very concrete and all of the very pragmatic people in there were like, wow, you really are just like an artist brain. You don't know what
0: <laughs> you're doing. But you need that, right? You have to have, you, yeah. you have to ha- I mean, you, it sounds like you have a good team that like pulls you back but you need the creative brain the art brain to just be like this
1: i'm like it'll come together it's like this thing and then i mean climbing and i think documentary style stuff is a little bit like that like leslie came and we shot there's several segments in the pretty strong piece for anybody that hasn't seen it but there's a segment in mexico um, with this climber fernanda rodriguez and leslie came with me and it was she had shot climbing before but she hadn't been like on just like a full climbing shoot at that point. Um, She's more of a photographer and a really great writer, Um, really great photographer too. Um, But, you know, we went out to shoot fair on a project, but we didn't even really, I didn't really know what the story was going to be. I was like either fair will send someone or we'll find someone else down there that's strong and we'll just like figure it out. And Leslie was kind of like, sort of okay with that plan but then she, we started filming fair on her project and she's you know she's falling she's working it out falling and Leslie like day three or four comes to me and she's like uh is she gonna she gonna do this thing like is she gonna do the route and I was like I don't know maybe not <laughs> she was like what <laughs> like so we're all the way out here and she might not do the route and I was like well yeah like that's that's the story. that's like that's hard sport climbing especially and in, she, in, just like you know in skiing you might get weathered out or you might have to wait but at the end of the day when the weather's clear you're gonna ski that shit right most like <laughs> yeah
0: most likely yeah
1: most likely you know i mean hopefully something terrible doesn't happen obviously the stakes are higher in that sense but with hard climbing and these sport routes it's like there's like this very fine degree of you know, if you're going to do it or not, you know, so it it was, it was an interesting mind shift for her. And then she actually is the one that filmed the sin, which was really cool. She was like, Oh my God, (laughs) it was kind of like a sin for her, which was cool.
0: Yeah. It's so much of climbing and I'll say mountaineering is just failing. Like you just fail while trying and like you have to be good at failing because there aren't, there's a lot of successful missions, but in between, there's so much failure. Like, yeah. I don't know how climbers do it and mountaineers. Like,
1: I think mountaineering is even another level, which is less of my wheelhouse. Um, you know, I guess with sport climbing, it's like, yeah, you're failing, you're failing, but you kind of know it's like it's going to be there. And probably the stakes you had to make to get out to that thing are like, you're like, I'll be in rifle next year. You know, I'll be walking two minutes for my project or whatever. But like going out into these really hard to reach places and putting all this time and training and effort into just get totally shut down by weather or things completely outside of your control, it is a whole nother mentality for sure. It's a I don't know it's kind of a wild. Thing. I mean, you're
0: right. But there's so many sim- similarities between them both, and like I am neither, so like who am I? But like, yeah, El Cap will be there or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, there's my flexing of my little climbing knowledge. But like,
1: work it, work yeah, it. right.
0: But like, <laughs> I don't know. You might not be there, like sure.
1: Emily yeah, you, just crashed
0: like thirty feet, smashed her head, and was like, oh, "Okay," yeah. and then like continued to climb. And you're like, "What?" Yeah. And she failed prior to that, and then just I guess she went yeah. back, but still, like, yeah. what? Like if I, I roll know. my ankle leaving a Walmart, <laughs> like I'm good.
1: Not going back, dude. I'm it's not. Go- that is not
0: there for me anymore. <laughs> like absolutely not. For sure. It's, for sure. And I don't know. It's. It's yeah, an insane. It's a- It's a
1: sacrifice. It is an insane sport. It's a, it's a thing. And it's a mental thing, even with the hard sport climbing, which is right. That's my kind of world. I mean, you know, if you meet people that are really niche in that, like you'll hear the, the mental battle because one you're pushing yourself probably like physically, like in this gymnastics type of way of climbing, probably the hardest that you ever will for, for that performance and then you get into this really weird mental headspace like where you might be physically strong enough to do it but you're like falling on weird moves or conditions get weird and it becomes this like really funky headspace game which you know those sort of films or those sort of things only speak to that sort of niche audience that are like kind of doing that which is growing to be fair
0: thanks to um, disney plus and nat geo yeah <laughs> just too small and hbo at this point
1: gosh hbo <laughs> um,
0: thanks for catching on
1: yeah but you know and it's more people do understand that kind of weird mental game and that is that is like a a different definitely different totally different than like alpine stuff but it's like you have to get into this like I'm still walking up to this thing and trying every day. It's like not fun at a point to try to reach this kind of almost unachievable goal to you physically at some point. And now it's like this weird emotional mental headspace to go back, you know, and that was something for Emily for sure. And then with her, you want to add on the fear factor, the fact that she basically could have definitely died on that fall. And, um, yeah, that whole pushing herself, like the hardest she probably ever had on like a physical and mental battle for that, that big wall scent. But yeah, it's a, it's, it's an interesting game that we decided to play.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, there's sponsor obligations and like, those are all like, that's your job. Like you yeah. take away, like most people do these activities because they enjoy it. They get five days a year where they can just disappear and go climb. Like, whether it be a yearly trip or they go to the climbing gym every Tuesday and then have a beer after. But, like, for you guys, a lot of your income is performance-based. And it's not competitive performance-based. Some people it is. But, like, that has to be a thought.
1: Yeah. I mean, in a weird way, I don't know if it's because climbing is still... Like in that, it's not. I mean, I would. I can name like five climbers that are making like All a living. lot of money. Yeah, you know, and making like a really good living. I mean, there's more than that are making like a a decent living, um, and their performance needs to stay up. But uh, it's not like they have to be doing like Alex Honnold free solos, you know, right. to like keep their sponsors. He Whereas, doesn't like, have if to do think, those. He just chooses
0: to. I don't think he has to do that. He's just no, like I'm gonna go it. do it.
1: Yeah, he's just his own, his own thing, Alex. But um, you know, I mean, yeah, maybe you need to stay in the scene. Maybe you need to, like you know, you think of like an Adam Andre or something. Like his has got to stay up. But if he's kind of having an off year or something, he still has his baseline of like kind of an. I mean, he'll be an iconic climber forever just because of all the things he's done. And I don't see sponsors pulling away from Adam because he didn't do a 9B, you know, three times this year or something like he's sort of solidified himself in that degree. And the stuff he's doing mostly is not like, you know, I think about skiers and even like half pipe people like you fall wrong, you're going to break your neck, you know, like the stuff I feel like some of those hard climbers are doing its way. Some of it's way safer, not like not what everyone's doing. Some people are doing weird highball stuff. Some people are doing, you know, speed ascents. But it's a, in my opinion, it's a different, like when you're doing comps, you're not like going to break your neck and maybe die. You know, like that's not
0: a thing. I feel this is just me watching actual climbers, professionals, Instagrams. But, like, there's so, not all of them and not all the time, but, like, you're so used to living on the wall or hanging out at the wall that it becomes, like, almost, like, almost, like, just cutting corners on safety.
1: Sure. How do you keep that in check? Yeah. Well, again, I want to just preface by I am not your big wall go-to person.
0: I know. (laughs) But but from people that I know. You hang with them and you do – I mean, you're still climbing – yeah, i doesn't have to be I'm a big wall like you fall 20 and... feet you fall 20 feet like
1: sure sure um and I mean I've been I've been on a number of you know my own multi-pitch bigger stuff but yeah I'm not living in Yosemite doing what those guys do and yeah the 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 stuff I think is just you know it's uh like even I think about when I set up lines and shoot like, I think about how when you first start, it's like you have all your points, you wouldn't do X, Y and Z. And then slowly you're like, well, that thing, you know, you're sort of looking at the gear. You're like, that looks fine. And you're like, this doesn't hit all the protocols, but like, it's fine. And I know on LCAP, Cap, when people are trying to go up so fast, they're cutting all kinds of corners because they're just having to say, like, this is a no fall zone. These are like, I'm only clipping into this one thing. I'm standing on a ledge, like it's fine. Um, And those are all calls that they're making just based on their knowledge and the more that factor of like the chances of this going wrong in this said scenario are really, really low. And I've done this for so long that I feel super confident with that. Like, you know, I think about myself, even just sport climbing, lowering off a bolt or you know, these are all things that you shouldn't do. You should always be into two points, but little moments when you're like, I mean, i have just threaded weird stuff or just been like, yeah, this I'm assessing the whole thing. I've been doing this over 20 years and like, this is OK. This is Something stressful. could go wrong this and then stressful. it would be fucked. <laughs> but in this moment, it feels safe enough that I can cut this little corner in this moment. Which is not like something everyone should do all the time. No, and- no
0: one should ever do it. I mean, I get it, but no one should ever do it. Oh, that Definitely stresses not. me out. I am like, <laughs> I can barely tie a knot, so I don't know. I'm not yeah, the right person yeah. to say that. But it's
1: all—it's all, human error that stuff, right? Unless the mountain—unless you're in the mountains—and then that's where you—you right. you better be doing everything right. And again, less of what I know, but I was on that shoot in Kyrgyzstan. For the HBO thing recently. And um there was just, you know, I don't, I mean, I've gone into the Alpine, but don't have a ton of like, really super duper Alpine experience, definitely no snow. And that's the only reason I got to go on that trip is because <laughs> it went from a snow area to this not super high area. But you know, as soon as we get there, there's all these Alpine dudes and guides that know what to do. And they're like assessing all this stuff all the time. And there had been a little bit of rock fall. And they're just like, okay. And every day, a little bit of rain, a little bit of rock fall. And we're like, we know exactly the timing of this. We know exactly how it works. X, Y, and Z is fine. And then one day we were actually on a rest day, luckily, in this gully that we hike up. It just not a drop of rain, sunny day all day. It was one of the only days that didn't have any weather and we were like shit we should be on the wall like this is a really nice day and we out of nowhere car sized boulders tumbling down where we hike every single day and it's like a 45 minute 50 minute approach so like you're not dodging that stuff and we were all <laughs> that's when all the guides were like yep yeah, we know nothing about this mountain and like it's totally all the little assessments that we had made are like out the window. And so we have to reevaluate completely. And that's the stuff that's like, totally. I don't deal with day to day. And you have to like, let so much go to be in that sort of mentality and terrain often. And I mean, I don't know, in a weird way, maybe it's like driving a car, like any of us could get in a terrible car wreck, but (laughs) you're putting yourself in this, like the mountains going, yeah, we don't, we don't need you here you know, all the time. It's a, it's a freaky, freaky feeling.
0: That's a good way to look at it, I guess. I'm just picturing like a, I used to work for a environmental company, like an a OSHA instructor or inspector coming onto a commercial shoot and being like, what? Like, obviously only in the U.S., but like how much, so I want to go back to, I want to talk about Pretty Strong a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, sure are you just hiring filmers? You're just working with filmers that know what they're doing. Like, how do you prepare these people to be on the wall and be safe and film properly?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You definitely would only, you know, I mean, in the case of pretty strong, we were, we shot the whole thing. Um, and then obviously we had gone to get old footage from other people that we knew and but if you are going to hire someone to go up a climb like say you're like setting up a shoot x y and z you know you know that person I mean I I suppose there's like a little gray area there but most of the time I mean the climbing filming world is relatively still small and you would sort of know by default or through friends of friends is this person legit is this person whatever and you know there's people like me who shoot a lot of single pitch but like if someone's like hey is Colette efficient on a big wall should we drag her up El Cap it's like hell no dude she's gonna slow you down she doesn't know what she's doing you know so I if I was looking for like a somebody to shoot on L Cap I would look for somebody who's got experience with big wall or has shot with somebody even if it's sort of just for fun or whatever and then you start you know, weeding out like who can do what kind of, you know, because yeah, that's the worst thing is to like pull someone that you think is a good photographer or whatever, but then you put them in a situation where they can't keep up or, you know, or a safety hazard. I mean, that would, you wouldn't want to find yourself in that situation.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I ask, cause there's so much fake it to you, make it in this world right mm-hmm. now. And like, this is something that like, you can't, Like if you don't make it, like you don't make it usually in these situations. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's interesting to hear like how it, and what you said, your answer is kind of like, it just weeds itself out as far as like people talk and people know, and that's a good thing of like, yeah,
1: I, I feel like climbing is still so, at least in my opinion, it's still so small. I mean, it reminds me of when I first started climbing and I first went on my, I went on my second big road trip out West and we got rained out of some area. It was me and a girlfriend. And we ended up in Boise and, and I, we called our friend in New York and he was like, Oh, I have a great friend in Boise. You should just go stay with him. And I remember telling my mom like, Oh no, it's cool. We're just going to stay. And she was just like, well, who, how is this person? I'm like, no mom, they're a climber. Like it's fine. Right. You know? And so, and I say that in, in the connection of like, it's such a small scene and world and like you kind of, know who's who and who is like efficient and not that you could ask a handful of people and be like hey what's up is this guy kind of a beginner or have they been doing this what was it like when you guys went up x y and z and people can say sort of you know and everyone's got to start somewhere so even if people are kind of chuffing around a little bit maybe they get more proficient down the line but hopefully they're doing it in a safe
0: way <laughs> yeah and I think there's so much of just the outdoor industry that kind of works like that I mean even this podcast mm-hmm. I was like you know I flaxed I was like ask your friend Emily like if she said I suck then mm-hmm. you don't have to do this like
1: yeah it's not... I already asked her before you told me that though
0: but that's but that's <laughs> like that's what how I, it works but that's what I want like and I and I mm-hmm. hope that she I don't know if she enjoyed it like I have no idea and that's but yeah. like it helps and it helps like hey this guy isn't a complete jerk. And we had a fun conversation and great. And like, this is in my podcast world, not my photo world. So it's cool to hear that. How do you feel about, maybe this is a loaded, maybe it's not, but like you're helping commercialize the climbing industry. You are a part of Mm -hmm. it. I don't think we can deny that. And maybe you will. Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing?
1: I think it's good. I mean, yeah, as I, sure, I can get all begrudging and old (laughs) Colette. Oh, there's someone in my route. But ultimately, yeah, I 100% have been part of that. And I've always been an advocate because, I mean, I remember having conversations with climbers back in the day and being like, but you love climbing so much and it's done all these great things for your life. Why would you not want somebody to find it and be and have that happen to them. And they were just straight up like, I don't care. I don't care what anybody else finds. I don't want somebody in my area making it crowded, making it whatever. And that was, you know, um 20 years ago I had that conversation. And so now I definitely understand more the sentiment of crowds, of people that don't, you know, quote unquote respect areas or don't know etiquette. And there's like a huge gap right between all of the gyms and the climbers that are being produced with the YouTube videos to go along with it. And then coming outside to areas where there are a lot of sensitivities, you know, with the environment or just keeping areas open, access things that people aren't trying to be jerks all the time, but frankly don't know. And if you have a lot of people in numbers that don't know, put a lot of places at risk, right? So there is that element of commercializing something. But on the same hand, it's like, Number one, who am I to say that my person being in an area and having an environmental impact is different than Joe Schmoe that started climbing three years ago? Like, I have no more right to be there than this person. And at the end of the day, the more people that we have in the outdoors, I hope it will be the opposite. There'll be more advocates for people caring about those areas and less like just people wrecking places or whatever and not caring or I think people, hopefully those next generations will be like, hey, we need to do everything we can to keep these places open. And I think there is right now that sort of lack of mentorship between the two without it coming across as like, you don't know, and I know, and like, you know, these really sort of lame (laughs) ways that I I could imagine my 17-year-old self listening to somebody in just the biggest eye roll. So it's like, how do we you know, make that stuff relevant, make it cool, make it so that those places are going to last because, um, you know, there, there's many more places to be had so many climbers that get into it. They might only climb inside because it's a great workout. It's a great community thing. And they go outside and enjoy nature. Like every once in a while, like no way would I want for somebody not to have that experience and the people that get into it and become lifers, hundred percent, they're going to become stewards for their area. Like maybe not in those first three years when they're just rah, rah, rah. I did my first 12 B or whatever. And I'm so cool and blasting my music. Like, you know, but hopefully it stays like, um, cool enough to just come up to someone and be like, Hey bro, that's not cool. And also like what you're doing is not safe and whatever. And, um, you know, I mean, hopefully that kind of personal interaction will still be happening. And in the meantime, people are finding this, like, frankly, like really incredible sport. That's, it's just, I don't know. I just love climbing so much. I could never be like, I don't want someone to get into it because of my own selfish <laughs> pursuits. And I'm personally kind of social, so I don't mind when there's a few people at the cliff.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting take and it's like, I want everyone to do it, but I want everyone to respect it and care about it as much as I do. And I don't know how to do that properly without like, cause sometimes you can come off as like, not maybe you, but like mm-hmm. as the old guy who cares who, or the old girl who's like, ah, and you're like, mm-hmm. no, I just want you to, you to care because if I did what you're doing 30 years ago, then you wouldn't get to enjoy this. And then mm-hmm. your kids won't get to enjoy it. So it's, it's so bizarre to me and that's a whole nother podcast for me to talk Mm. about how like we can fund a 1.8 billion dollar super bowl stadium for Mm -hmm. eight weeks a year but we can't get like 10 grand for like a bike path and i'm like what right like that's that's a whole nother it's like we use that stadium eight days a year okay guys Mm -hmm. like i don't care about the bills they're going yeah. to lose the Super Bowl this year if they make it. They're going to lose by three in the last seven yeah. seconds of the game. So that's my prediction. You know. But it is but crazy. And it's like, yeah. How, yeah. how do we get people to care? And how do we make it? Mm-hmm. It's cool to care, right? And mm-hmm. how do we not be, the, for lack of a better term, the grumpy old men? who yeah. like.
1: Yeah, it's like a value system, right? And, you know, I mean, to go back to the stadium, we were driving through. We're in these small towns. And I think we drove past – Silt or Palisades. There's a small town right by Rifle out here, and this is the Western Slope. And it's like this tiny little town, a huge football field, like shiny new. And I'm just like, all right. I'm like, so that doesn't, you know, register with me, doesn't check off. And, but it's like, you know, maybe some dude that went to school there is like a pro football player and he gave money to the town and was like, I want a big stadium. And that's like our societal values, right? We want to be entertained. We want, you know, there's a reason footballers make more money than teachers or whatever. Right. So that's just like a I grander guess. societal thing. And basically, like being in nature doesn't really make anybody money. Right. And we're a capitalistic world. Right. And so how can we, you know, change that, that we value the things that aren't just monetary and how do we value things that are. Yeah. Yeah not that's, monetary yeah, that's, <laughs> a whole, that's a whole other
0: podcast we're like another podcast we're deep diving um we got like 10 minutes so I don't want to take sure. too much of your time what gear are you shooting like what do you yeah. don't go too deep because people no no I don't have to because but, I only
1: have one camera
0: <laughs> that's amazing love hearing that
1: um the a7s3 I just upgraded I had the two forever I shot with a Canon before that um, when it was mostly photos. And then I had the two um, A7 because it was better for video. And then I have the, yeah, the three for video, which has been good. I, ha- I haven't shot a ton on that because the HBO thing was probably the most video I've shot for a long time. And they hooked me up with, uh, I'm so bad with the A7 series. Honestly, there's just too many it's of them. So good. But it but was the one that's like came out the same time as the. Well, there's
0: seven. like an A7S, A7R. Now there's yeah. one, two, three. Like I have but an a it's A7. like a
1: five something. It was just the one that's made for video. Anyway, so that thing is dope, and it's like tantamount to what I have. But what I have takes more photos, so that's what I'm shooting on.
0: And then what lens? <laughs> What's your go-to lens?
1: Go-to lens. I mean, I just got the Sigma 24 to 70. So I think if you're rolling around like the 24 to 70s, always whatever. And I didn't want to get the G Master. It's like quite a bit more. And I had rented it once, and I wasn't blown away. You never get those colors, like these really nice prime lenses. So I just thought I would, but that's the one I keep on. And I, my boyfriend got me a macro lens for my birthday last year. So I've been trying to play with that. It's pretty fun. I like the details and the little, the little bits. It's so am- the macro is pretty sick.
0: It's amazing that you said that I have a text conversation <laughs> that I will send you after this about mm-hmm. my buddy and I talking about the Sigma 24 to 70. And mm-hmm. it is like my least favorite lens, um, mm-hmm. but literally like an hour ago, we're having this conversation about like how you have to have it because like you I can know. be like a seventy two hundred G Master. I'll shoot that every day, all day, if I can. But like yeah. you're trapped sometimes. People yeah. listening are like, "What the? What are these guys talking about?" Yeah. But
1: <laughs> no, uh, and I have a seventy to two hundred, but it's the old Canon one, the like old school yeah. one. is so heavy. I love that lens. You gotta get the G Master. It. I know. I gotta it's upgrade it. It's so
0: light. It's so good. I, know. I just rent it all the time, if I'm being yeah. honest. Um, yeah.
1: It's so
0: good. It's so good. Mm-hmm. It's, I could geek out on that thing all day. <laughs> but I can't believe you shoot with 2470. That like actually inspires me because I hate <laughs> that lens and I always feel like none of my photos are sharp or good when I shoot with it. And yeah. you clearly figured it out. So
1: well, I mean it's not all I shoot with, but right, you know, but, but it is fine. If it, it is, lives uh,
0: on there, it's there.
1: It's there a lot. Yeah.
0: Uh how important as a filmmaker, is it to spotlight females? And wh- And this is a two-parter. Why don't you think that the industry, for lack of a better term, cares as much about female athletes in general? We can talk climbing, but I think that we can generalize that as well. Yeah. In your opinion.
1: Sure. Um, you know, I mean, I do want to say that I feel like that has shifted. Or it is shifting, you know. Shifting. Um, I... I mean i think like you know care lease it's come back to the monetary stuff right i think it's more about like who traditionally has been doing outdoor sports up until the last 20 years probably and those were predominantly men and so yeah you were creating content and the people that was creating that content were all people in that industry and so i think that's just how it has flown and traditionally white men right because if you've got those sports, you also have pretty affluent people often or people that at least have time to recreate, right? So you already have like an upper kind of echelon of people that are doing it. And so I just think it's been natural that this that the media that has come from these sports that have been predominantly white men has been made and therefore continues in that realm. But as that stuff has shifted, as you know, you are able to access these sports in areas that aren't predominantly white men, then it's it's sort of shifting and the people that are creating that media are changing. And I think the concept of the industry not caring is more like who is in the industry. And as that the industry becomes more diverse, And has more women, they are going to be more interested in films about themselves or people of color, you know, that haven't maybe traditionally been doing those sports in this country. So I do think there's a shift, um, but but maybe slow, you know. So we'll see. I forgot the second part. Was that the first and the second part?
0: I think you hit them (laughs) both, to be honest. (laughs) Um, You know, the first part was like, how important is it to put to Mm. as you? to like yeah to make sure that you're highlighting these females but I think you covered everything really and just like the why is shitty white dudes for a long time ran the world (laughs) and continue to and I think it's slowly shifting but
1: yeah I mean it's again back to money and time and freedom and you know traditionally that has been affluent white men you know in this country and Those, you know, if you think about who has time and money and accessibility to skiing and rock climbing and kayaking and all these things, like there's a reason that it's a certain kind of person that's doing those things. And it's still predominantly that. Right. And so giving access to those things in this country comes down to monetary availability everything's right? about and money
0: everything here
1: here it is yeah and it's it's, it's hard <laughs> it's sad
0: it's, especially yeah. something as simple as climbing a rock you know like
1: yeah
0: you don't have to have obviously there's big projects but like bouldering is arguably pretty cheap yeah uh, a pair of shoes and you don't even yeah. need that if you really
1: totally if you really yeah, think there, about it there are Stances where that could be accessible to a lot of different communities that just are basically probably not even aware that it's a thing, right?
0: Yeah, it's crazy. Um, mm-hmm. One thing you always take with you on a trip, no matter what.
1: I guess my camera. That's
0: <laughs> a that's a good. That's a good I never bring my camera. Like if I'm not being paid, I don't bring it. Which is like I try. I just don't. Or if I have. I,
1: I, I have moments. I have moments when I'm leaving it, leaving it more. Oh, I guess another thing is my, um my little Bialetti coffee maker. I almost travel with Ooh, that everywhere now because I can't get stuck with bad coffee, but I'm deciding after this last trip that the, the Aeropress is the better option because you don't have to, you just have to have the hot water. Right. You know? So I've decided that and it's small and compactable. It took me, I, I just find it's like, sometimes too complicated before i've had coffee with all the filters and the parts and that all look the same <laughs> so i just put it off for many years i was like i don't know how to do this shit i'm trying to just make a cup of coffee but my last trip i thought all right i need to start bringing you to stop
0: bringing press. this and bring this. yeah i'm such a bioletti doesn't always especially
1: in europe they have all the electric stoves that don't always work with your bialetti, and then it's a it's a real issue <laughs>
0: I'm such a, like, a dirtbag when it comes to coffee. Like, I love coffee. I love good coffee. Mm-hmm. But, like, I have a very special place in my heart for, like, a horrible cup of, like, burnt 7-Eleven coffee or, like, yeah. even just an instant coffee. And, like,
1: for sure. some of the instant
0: coffees aren't.
1: No, I don't mind the flavors. It's that's not what I'm. I'm caught. I'm addicted to the amount of caffeine. Is what it comes yeah. down to. And that's where I get like, if I'm not getting that amount of caffeine, I'm so.
0: Well, you get a headache. Everything that's, It's bad. Yeah, it's <laughs> we're all there. We're all living it. Um, exactly. Wonderful. Why well, don't I to take too much time? Yeah. Uh, people to thank, sponsors to thank, and where can everyone follow what you're doing? And I know Pretty Strong is still available on Vimeo. Yeah. I think it's $5 to rent, so it's super yeah. affordable. Watch some watch some amazing climbers, great storytellers, and just support females in the industry. But yeah. now it's yours.
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah, thanks for the Pretty Strong plug. So, yeah, you can still watch that online. Um, you can find me. I'm probably most active on Instagram, and it's my name backwards, Edelock, which mm-hmm. is something I did many years ago, and have considered changing, but it still is what it is. Um, and then uh, Black Diamond, one of my main sponsors, they have been supporting me for many, many years on projects and everything. So first off, thanks to them. And I work with um, Gnarly a little bit and F-Stop too. So they're great. And probably forgetting somebody else, but, but those are my main people. And yeah, check out Pretty Strong if you haven't and hopefully have some more cool content coming out. Sooner than later. I
0: was going to say, so. what is next? This is my <laughs> final question, I promise. Is there something we can talk about or is it that's it? Like something's no, down the pipeline and we're not sure yet.
1: We're not sure yet. I, I definitely have my, my moments of going down rabbit holes. Right now I'm trying to get better at editing. And, you know, it would be cool to work with some other people and maybe be less on the ground, like not the two year shooting all the time. Um, rat race and having more people doing that and me being more on the managerial side role. I think that's my, hopefully my future moves a little more in that direction and just pick said projects that I really want to do. But yeah, nothing really big right now. Just editing and shooting when I can and trying to still climb, trying to climb before my body just wants to fall apart.
0: (laughs) I think you got a long time. so I hope so. Uh, Thank you. This was great. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah, that was
1: fun.